0: Well, good morning. This morning we are continuing our sermon series that we began last week entitled Back to the Future. And for those of you who perhaps weren't with us last week, let me kind of encapsulate in a nutshell what we're doing. We are taking Old Testament stories and scripture passages, and we're looking back into the day before Jesus walked the earth to look for evidence and foreshadowing of what Christ would do when he came to earth as one of us. Looking at God's plan of salvation and pointing it out through those threads and principles from these Old Testament stories. Today we look at a very uh, interesting and familiar passage: the story of Noah and the flood and, and the great ark. Before we look at it, though, uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we thank you uh, for the rain that came last night and how it nourished the earth. Uh, we thank you for the fact that the sun came up. And Uh, somewhere behind those clouds, and we we thank you that um, you've given us another day in which to live and breathe and and to enjoy the world that you've put us in, uh, to grow in our relationship with you, to serve you, and to to serve others. Father, we thank you as well for your word of truth, and we ask now simply that your spirit would intersect with your word in our lives, that you would grow us uh, in more Christ-likeness, that our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions would be shaped more and more and aligned more and more with those of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, through whom we pray. Amen. Now, the story of, of Noah and the Ark is, is a well-known story. It's, it's more popular than, than ever before. Even people who do not know the Bible well who, or perhaps don't darken the door of a church very often Know the story of Noah and the ark uh, they know how he built the ark and the floods came, but before that happened, how two uh, two of each kind of animal marched into the into this great ark and, and most people know that uh, how the great flood when the waters receded the, the ark landed, and they went out, and there was a great rainbow, and God promised that he would never send a great flood to destroy the earth again. Most people would know that story for those of you who might doubt the popularity or ubiquity of of this story the evidence is everywhere if you travel across america you find noah's ark restaurants noah's ark t-shirts noah's ark coffee mugs aprons if you google it on the internet you'll even find a recipe for noah's ark brownies it should not surprise anyone to learn that the largest water park in the united states is located in wisconsin dells maybe some of you have been there it's called noah's ark and a few years back, a very popular movie, Evan Almighty, starring Steve Carroll, came out, kind of a modern-day twist with a Hollywood twist of Noah and the Ark. You know, a few years ago, a man named Robert Fulgham wrote an essay called All I Re- Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, and it was so popular that it spawned a number of spin-offs. I ran across this one last week uh, called All I Need to Know I Learned from Noah's Ark. First, don't miss the boat. Second, remember we are all in the same boat. Third, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Fourth, stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something really big. Fifth, don't listen to critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. Sixth, build your future on high ground. Seventh, for safety's sake, travel in pairs. Eighth, Speed isn't everything. The snails are on board with the cheetahs. Nine. When you're stressed, float a while. Two more. Ten. Remember the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic by professionals. (laughs) And then 11, which is a good one for us to remember. No matter the storm, when you are with God, there's always a rainbow waiting at the end. Now, there are basically two ways that we can approach this very familiar story. The first is to focus on the controversial issues. There's all sorts of questions that we have about this story. And of course, the story of Noah and the flood goes from chapter 6 all through the next couple chapters 7 and 8. And and the first approach, of course, would be to focus on those controversial issues. Seems like uh, what was the extent of the flood? Did it really cover the entire earth? Uh, Included in that category would be a very pressing that I had as a kid growing up on the farm How did Noah and his family keep the ark clean with all those animals inside? Now, some of these questions we can answer, and some of them we can't. But for this morning, we're going to be taking a little bit different approach and emphasis. If we concentrate only on the controversial elements, we risk missing the larger issue, the larger message. Even though it's important to ask, how did the flood cover the entire earth? If we stop there, we will miss the larger spiritual lessons that the Lord has for us. Before we do that, though, I can't resist just for a second looking at the, the ark itself. Now, regarding the ark, according to Genesis chapter 6, uh, there's a very specific design given in verses 14 through 16. The type of wood, the design, th- three stories, um, you know, the, how high to build it, how big to build it, those, that, that sort of thing. In verse 17, there's a very specific reason for giving, for building the ark. Well, there's a flood coming. Uh, verse 18, there's a specific promise given. Uh, that they will be saved from the flood if they're in the ark. And in verses 19 and 20, we see that there's very specific passengers to every kind of animal. And then in verse 21, a very specific and a very important cargo, food. Now, the text reads like a a sober historical account of what actually happened. And in fact, if we take Genesis 6 seriously, then we need to believe this is not just a, a mythical fantasy story simply taught to teach a moral lesson we ought to conclude that God really did speak to Noah and told him to build the ark because there really was a great flood coming. And we ought to conclude as well that he did really tell them to bring the land animals into the ark in order to keep them alive until the flood was over. Now, that might be kind of hard for us to grasp, but if we will see in a few minutes, Jesus himself referenced the story of Jonah, or excuse me, Noah and the ark in Matthew 24. And the apostle Peter also referenced the story of Noah and the ark in 1 Peter chapter 3. Both of them taught and wrote and believed and acted as if it was a story that actually happened. Now, this past week when doing my research for this passage, I discovered a fascinating fact uh, about the word ark. The, the Hebrew word for ark is used in only two places in the New, New Testament. And in both places, it basically means box or container. And, and that's significant for us to consider when the other occurrence of this particular Hebrew word for ark comes in exodus 2 and if you remember what happens in exodus 2 it's where the infant moses is placed in a in a basket or an ark and put in the river in the bulrushes so that he would not be destroyed along with the other hebrew boys by the pharaoh so it's not a coincidence that the basket of exodus 2 is is coated with pitch which we'll see a little bit later what that means the same resinous material that's used in the ark that Noah builds now this is essentially an enormous container designed to keep Noah and his family and the animals afloat during this year-long flood. We Remember, it's 40 days and 40 nights, but the floodwaters don't recede for about a year. There's no rudder because Noah didn't need to steer it. He simply needed to build a boat that would float, which is exactly what God told him to do. As we heard from Robbie when he read this, it was very large, 450 feet long, 45 feet high, 75 feet wide. Basically a long and narrow and relatively low-slung, floating barge. You know, I, I read a study a few years back, an engineering study, and there are many on this topic, just kind of curious to see what it looked like, that have revealed that such a design ratio produces a vessel that is, is, is incredibly stable and almost impossible to capsize. The basic design is very similar to the massive supertankers that ferry oil from the Middle East to North America today. Again, using the dimensions given, and allowing for three floors inside the ark, it contained about 100,000 square feet, which uh, for frame of reference, the building you're sitting in and the second floor and the new building that we're constructing is about 70,000 square feet. So it'd have been about 30,000 square feet more than our, our building, uh, building and future building. Total storage would have been the capacity of about 569 standard railroad cars. So the arc was enormous by even today's standards and simply inconceivable by Noah's. Anyway, as interesting and fascinating as it is to talk about the ark's size, let's hone in on the important spiritual lessons that arise from the story. Three obvious ones uh, come to mind. First, one that we always don't want to hear, but it's clear, God judges sin. From the standpoint of those perished, this is the central message. Though God is patient, even in the face of outright rebellion, and repeated blasphemy, his patience, must eventually come to an end. God will not always strive with men, we're told in Genesis 6-3. Sin will be judged sooner or later. It's judged in this life through the, the suffering and pain that comes from those who presume to live their lives apart from God's holy commandments. And it is judged ultimately in eternity when the unrighteous are sentenced to everlasting separation from God in hell. The flood stands as a stark reminder that no one gets away with sin forever. As Martin Luther King Jr. put it, the arm of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Second, and the good news is, even in judgment, God displays grace. God offers mercy. Though the world perished, one man and his family were saved. God never leaves himself without a witness on earth. This truth saves us from despair when we see people living their lives contrary to God's will, rising to power and influence, and sin being praised openly. And it gives us great hope as we spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Even in judgment, God shows mercy and God offers grace. And until the flood came, the door of the ark was open. Anyone could have entered. Third, Judgment will come when Jesus Christ returns to the earth again. Listen to what Jesus said about this out of Matthew 24, 36-39. You can follow along on the screen if you like. No one knows about that hour or day, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's comparing the days of Noah to the days before his return to earth. In Noah's day, there was total unconcern with even the remote possibility of God's judgment. And when God tried to warn them through Noah and the building of the ark, the men and women of Noah's day did not believe or chose to ignore God's warning and offer of grace. In the same way, Jesus says, before He returns, the world will have little concern for the possibility of His return in God's judgment. Jesus says, many of us will be too busy eating or drinking or playing or sending email or buying or selling or building or dreaming or seeing or whatever it might be, doing about anything except for getting ready for Christ's return. But make no mistake, that day is coming, Jesus says. Just as certainly as the flood came to Noah's generation, even so the, the day of judgment will come to the entire earth, and it may come sooner than many of us think. Let's take a look at another New Testament pro, uh, passage that speaks about Noah and the flood. It's in 1 Peter, verses, chapter three, verses eighteen through twenty-one, and it's a it's a fascinating passage that many people believe is the most difficult to interpret in the New Testament. And so, of course, I'll just take two or three minutes to talk about it. Um, In these verses, Peter connects uh, Jesus, Noah, the flood, baptism, and the resurrection, all within three verses. Here are his words. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the Spirit's, in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot to unpack there, but I'm going to zero in on a couple things. Though various interpretations are possible, In in my opinion, Peter is telling us that the pre-incarnate Christ, the Christ who was with the Father in heaven before he came to earth as one of us, Peter is telling us that this Christ preached through Noah to his generation. And if that's the case, then Peter goes on to say that because they rejected his words, those unbelievers, those who rejected God before the flood, are the spirits in prison awaiting final judgment. Secondly, what about the question of what do do the floodwaters represent? It says that, that this baptism now saves you also. How does this happen, and how did those floodwaters save Noah? Well, the same waters that destroyed the world of that day also delivered Noah to a new world after the flood. Likewise, the waters of baptism deliver a believer from the old life of sin and destruction to a brand new life in Christ Jesus. But before we jump to the conclusion that water literally saves us let's remember that not a single drop of water touched noah he was saved through the water not by the water he passed through the flood because he was in the ark if he had literally been in the water he would have perished with everyone else but it was the ark that saved him the water merely delivered him from the old world to the new so peter here is not teaching baptismal regeneration the idea that we are saved by baptism or that water baptism is part of our salvation. It is Christ alone who saves us by his death and by his resurrection. And baptism is the pledge of a new believer whose conscience has been made clear by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the Baptism is the believer's pledge of allegiance to the Lord who saved him. And that leads us to the all-important final point. If the water symbolizes baptism, then the ark must symbolize Jesus Christ. He is the ark of salvation to everyone who believes in him. Consider these points of comparison, if you will. First, just as the ark was provided by God to bring salvation, God, Christ was sent from heaven as a gracious provision for our salvation. Second, the ark was, was sealed inside and out with, with pitch, it says. And the Hebrew word for for this pitch comes from the same root word that's translated elsewhere as atonement or covering. So just as the pitch sealed and covered the spaces between the planks of gopher wood, the blood of Christ covers our sins so they can no longer rise up and condemn us any longer. Third, there was only one ark provided, and it had only one door. God never said, make four or five arks." And let the people make their own choice. And he never offered more than one door to the ark. One ark and one door. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Fourth, the ark saved everyone who entered. And everyone who comes to Christ is saved. Jesus promises us us this in John 6, 37. No one who comes to, to him in faith will be turned away fifth the ark was a place of of total security no matter how high the waters rose the people and the animals inside were safe the winds howled the waves crashed the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights it did not matter the ark was so strong that it preserved everyone and everything inside and those who come to christ find that they are not only saved they are safe forever and eternally secure sixth once god shut the door no one else could enter. While the door was open, anyone could enter and be saved from the coming flood. Once the door was shut, it would not be opened again until the flood was over. The Bible tells us that today is the day of grace. The door of salvation is open to all who care to enter into the ark of salvation, faith in Jesus Christ. The invitation goes out to the entire world. God takes no delight in the delight in, in, in the death and destruction and separation of, of, of people. And 2 Peter 3 tells us he delays the coming judgment so that all may come to repentance. But the day of grace will not last forever. And there will come a time when the gospel call will end and judgment will begin. So in the story of Noah and the flood, we find a warning to be ready, a warning to be in the ark in Jesus Christ to be ready when Christ returns, but we also find an invitation, a glorious, wonderful invitation of grace. You see, there's one very big change after the flood. Along with the rainbow, the promise from God not to destroy the earth with water again, there's one very big change after the flood. Listen to Genesis 8, 20 through 21. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds he sacrificed burnt offerings on it and the lord smelled the pleasing aroma now the phrase pleasing aroma is actually an aroma it means an aroma that puts to rest it's the aroma that goes up to god it's the aroma that that puts to rest and interestingly enough noah's name means rest god's grieving heart is now put at rest not by the flood not by the death of countless people and animals, but by an aroma rising from Noah's offering. And it's an act of grace that God accepts this, that he allows himself to be put at rest by this bloody, sacrificial, burnt offering. Now, the theological term for this is is propitiation, where God turns away his wrath from those who deserve it. His justice and his grace meeting in an offering god's solution to his grieving heart and human sin and of course noah's offering foreshadows the ultimate bloody burnt offering because god knew that no animal and no human being could ever fix the pain and the sin of the world and so god sent his son from heaven to solve the problem and at the center of history is a big block of wood not the ark but the cross And it's at the cross where the flood of God's wrath pushed Christ down into death so that we could be pushed up safe in an ark of grace and mercy and love. And Philip Yancey calls this exchange the atrocious math of the gospel. One burnt offering, one Savior equals a brand new, fresh start for billions of people. It's grace. Something that we can't earn, something that we don't deserve, but it's given to us. It's it's grace, the atrocious math of the gospel. And it never runs out. The scripture tells us the forecast for you and me who believe in Christ is always the reign of God's grace. There's always a, a flood of God's grace never, ever running out in our lives. God says to Noah in Genesis 6, 8, Noah found favor. Noah found grace In the eyes of God. That's a great verse for us to hang on to who are in Christ. We have found grace. We have found favor in the eyes of God. And what that means is uh, no matter what we've done, no matter what we'll do, no matter what we're doing, no matter how we've performed this past week or how we'll perform in the next week, the forecast is still grace. Showers of grace and mercy and of love. perhaps one of my most favorite uh, Christian authors and pastors is a man named Tim Keller and I like his definition of, 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 of the gospel he says in the gospel we are more sinful than we ever dared believe but in the gospel we are also more loved than we ever dared hope the Christian life starts with God's grace it's sustained by his grace and it ends with his grace Mercy, love, grace. Pouring down from heaven, sent from God to save all from the flood of sin and of death. To save all who are in Christ Jesus, the ark of our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word again. And Lord, I, uh, I simply ask that your word would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it today. That your word would take root in each of our lives and hearts. Uh, that we would know that we are saved only by faith, only by grace, in Je- by, given by faith in Jesus Christ. Help us also remember, Lord, that there is a warning in this passage uh, that, uh, that you will return. Uh, but thank you for the invitation, the good news that the door is open, that we're invited into the ark that we're invited into safety and security, that we're invited into grace and mercy and love. And so we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And we commit ourselves to living in and with and through you, through Christ our Lord. Amen.